All right, John 6, 52 to 59. Uh, I want to give, I read this just straight away in the last service, and man, you get into some of the words in here where Jesus, I'm just going to say, it, he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood this morning in this passage, some interesting ways of stating it. And I think before I read it, we need to set a little bit of context. Uh, so chapter six is all about Jesus now uh, providing uh, food for the 5,000. So he feeds the multitudes uh, through this miraculous sign of, of five loaves and two fish expanding to feed at least 5,000 people. Then after that teaches that he is the bread of life as the manna that came down from heaven foreshadowed the coming of uh, the true bread of life, Jesus Christ. And at the end of last week's passage, he says this in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world, he says, is my flesh. Now we pick up our reading this morning, verse 52. This is what's going on now. It says, then, or The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What in the world, right? The 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, that's Jesus, will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. An interesting passage, to say the least. Uh, Pastor R.C. Sproul, in his summary of this chapter, he headlines this section. He calls it hard sayings. Hard sayings, right? I think we can agree when you hear Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, like that's a hard saying to absorb. Uh, I agree with that. Taken at a surface level reading, this is indeed a, a difficult passage. If we just stay on the surface and we don't dig deep into the statements from Jesus, uh, there is, just in, in church history, a little bit of a church history lesson this morning, in church history, in the early church, so after Jesus uh, ascended to heaven, uh, the apostles go out and proclaim the gospel, and so you have the church is established. In the early church, there were three main reasons that early Christians were, were persecuted by Romans, by the Roman government. Okay, the three reasons were this, or the three accusations, these were false accusations, were this. Okay, the first one was this. This is crazy. They were, they were accused of being incestuous, okay, of having incestuous relationships with their brothers and sisters because the scriptures commanded that they greet each other with a kiss. Okay? That was a false accusation, obviously. The second reason why they were persecuted is because they were, would you believe it, they were accused of being atheist. How in the world could they be atheist? Because in Rome, Caesar was viewed as God, a God. He was God, and they refused to what? Bow to Caesar. So they were accused of being atheists, and so they were persecuted for that false accusation. Obviously, they're not atheists. They worship the one true God, Yahweh. The third thing that they were accused of, and the reason why I'm giving you these three reasons, it pertains to this passage here and the observance of this, the Lord's Supper, or we call it that communion. Maybe if you grew up in the Catholic church, you, they call it the Eucharist. 
Um, the third thing that they were accused of was being, this is, this is again, is crazy. They were accused of being cannibals. Can you believe that? And it was a reason why they were persecuted. Obviously, we know the early Christians were not cannibals, but people took uh, these readings to be overly literal. They took an overly literal reading of these. We can understand this third misunderstanding in light of this passage where Jesus says what? He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Some of you are getting uncomfortable right now. We're going to get to the bottom of this, okay? We're going to figure out what this means. Some of you like, you're new and like, man, what type of church did we stumble into today? Okay, hang with us for uh, just about 45 minutes or so. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of this. I'm going to state from the beginning, I don't want to leave you hanging here. It is obvious in this section of scripture, I want to make it very clear to you, it is obvious that Jesus is using a figure of speech or metaphor to get his point across. He's not saying you need to literally eat his flesh or drink his blood. It would be impossible for us Christians 2,000 years later to be able to do that because we don't have Jesus in the flesh here standing amongst us at this church, okay? So he's using a figure of speech or a metaphor, an exaggeration in a sense, to get his point across, which brings us to this, our main idea. Our main idea is this. True belief is feasting on Jesus as the only provider of sustenance and life. That's who Jesus is. It's feasting on him, carrying out this metaphor of Jesus into our main idea is, is the reality of this. Hear this, is that true saving faith is much deeper than just a surface level belief. Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's deeper than that. Okay, I'm not speaking here of the size of one's faith. I mean, we all know the, the mustard seed teaching from scripture, but what I'm talking about is the quality of one's faith. Is there a depth of faith and belief within you that make that brings you to a deep commitment to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and obedience to his word? Does it, does it feast on the person and work of Jesus? Is it taking in all of him. See, a struggle that we have, especially in this day and age, is because we're so enlightened, right, in our society that we know better, so we think, than the Word of God. And so we have a tendency to take some of his teachings and leave other teachings out. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep what? My commandments. Hey, you will keep my word. You will keep my law. You will hold fast to me. And so are we feasting on the person and work of Jesus? Are we taking in all of him, even the difficult teachings in Scripture? Are we taking Jesus at his word? Do we view Jesus first and foremost as the source of, of our own life? That apart from Christ, we are dead in our transgressions and sin. In Christ, we are alive. We are given new life. Backing up a bit, I'm going to back up again into last week's passage Context is so important to preaching this section of Scripture. So we're going to back up to verse 50 now and then go to 53. So the words of Jesus, he says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Okay, an important teaching in Scripture, he says right here in this next section, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, it says he will live forever. So have eternal life. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I preached on this last week, but just to refresh your memory, what does he mean by flesh? Jesus literally gave his body on the cross. He died bodily on the cross. He shed his blood. What did that accomplish? He died on the cross and he did this. He, he bore the wrath of God and paid the just penalty for our sins through his body given and his blood shed. 
Then going into this week's passage, verse 52, it says now the Jews, so this, this Jewish crowd, this multitude that Jesus has fed and been teaching, it says the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, now they don't get it. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This makes no sense. So Jesus said to them, now here Jesus, I mean, he's digging in now. He says, okay, you're, you're going to take this in super literal. All right, I'll go with you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What in the world, right? He, I mean, Jesus just goes right along with their train of thought. At times, the way Jesus teaches is, I've, as I read through this passage, it perplexed, like, Jesus, why would you choose to present it in that way? He knows best, though. Right? We read this, and it kind of gets our mind gears going. Like, what, what is going on? He goes right along with his opponents here. And in a sense, he, he escalates the saying, the, me, the metaphor of him being the living bread. I mean, if we read that, it doesn't seem too difficult to grasp. But when they continue to fail in understanding, Jesus goes deeper. He says one must eat his flesh. And then this is a particularly repulsive statement to the Jews. He says, now drink his blood. Why is it repulsive? Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 17? We'll look at verses uh, 10 to 12. I'm going to talk a little bit more while you're turning there. So he says, one must eat his flesh. And again, this, this repulsive statement and drink his blood. Now, a voice comes in my mind. Somebody, one of my brothers that's in here is one of our deacons. And if you say something that's confusing to him, his name's Michael Davenport. He goes, what in the world? You guys, you guys know Michael Davenport? He goes, what in the world? That's what I, I heard Michael's voice in my head uh, when I read through this. Like, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus. Just the thought of this must have sent them spinning. But even more so, they, they would have recalled the law that forbids the eating of blood from sacrificed animals in Leviticus 17. That's why I had you turn to Leviticus. You're like, why are we turning to Leviticus? Leviticus is the one that derails my year annual Bible reading plan every year, just to confess that to you. Like I get about partway through Leviticus. It's like, okay, I'm done. I'm moving to the New Testament. So Leviticus 17, 10 to 12 says this, if any, if any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. This is important. Verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar. Hear this to make atonement. What does atonement mean? It means payment, payment for your souls. We kind of get this picture of redemption through sacrifice. For it is the blood that makes atonement. We can say payment by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. And now Jesus here says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Can you understand why the Jews are like, what is this guy talking about? What is going on? What a repulsive statement. Even without that law, thinking about drinking blood should make all of us just go, ugh. There seems to be, though, here, I think in, in verse 52, I want to point this out, an inkling of hope. The Jews are disputing, usually in a dispute, right? There's two opposing viewpoints, correct? There's, there's a disagreement. In order to have a disagreement, you've got to have different views on things. 
And so it could be that, that some of the Jews who had been part of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is teaching on the bread of life. Now they're disputing with one another. I think it's, it's okay to think, hey, some of these people are believing Jesus and they're taking him at his word. They believe he's the bread from heaven. And then some don't. Some are still in unbelief, and so there's a dispute going on. And then Jesus here gets explicit in the detail of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And very simply put, again, he's using metaphor. We're not literally feasting on flesh and blood, but we must feast on Jesus. And if they, if they really perceived as, as they read the scriptures, if they truly sought understanding, they would understand uh, the reference to Leviticus 17 should have recalled this sacrificial language of atone, atonement. I pointed that out of payment for their soul or their sins. That a, a sacrifice was required. It said again in verse 11, for, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement. Again, we can substitute in the words there, uh, a word that we would use would be payment. We hear this word a lot, like reparations, a payment for something, for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement payment by the life. Moreover, they could have recalled this also. So you have this atonement language, which speaks to Jesus will later die as, a, as an atoning, a, a payment for our sins. But they also could have recalled the times when the Old Testament writings, prophets, and poetry spoke of God's word, his instruction, oftentimes as food, as sustenance, as food for the soul. Uh, the, prophet, or the prophet Jeremiah came to mind. As I was studying this week, he says this in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. This is a beautiful section of scripture. He says, your words were found. Hear this. What does he say? And I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Do you see when Jeremiah deeply receives the word of God, what, do is it, do it, what does it become to him? It becomes a joy and a delight of his heart. I believe this is what Jesus is getting at, is that when we receive him, not just on a surface level, but really truly want to know him and draw him in deeply, there is a, a joy and a delight in our heart in knowing him in a, in a deep and intimate relationship. I think this, is, this, is a, this passage in Jeremiah 15 is closely connected to the main idea of Jesus' teaching. He, he's not just a provision of physical bread to eat every day. That's what they wanted. They just wanted Jesus just feed us, just give us the bread so we don't have to work anymore. But instead, he's trying to give them this gift of life, of true life. And true life is only found in this way when we receive Jesus completely. We have to be, we have to be sold out for Christ, deeply engaged in him. Eating takes what is outside and brings it inside into our body. Jeremiah, again, so delights in the word of God that he takes it in like food. And we see that same idea in Jesus' teaching. And so we're going to draw three points out of this section of Scripture this morning. The first point is true belief is consumed with Jesus. True belief is consumed with Jesus, playing off this kind of metaphoric language of Jesus. If we truly have saving faith in Jesus, our lives will be consumed with him and by him. People are going to know that you're a follower of Jesus because he, your whole life is just about that. It's all about Christ. 
We're going to read verse 53 and then skip to 55. We'll circle back around to 54 in just a minute. It says, so Jesus said to them, now he's responding to the dispute among the Jews. Truly, truly, pause there. Remember what that means. He's saying literally, amen and amen, or so be it, so be it. This is the truth. I declare to you the truth. I say to you, now he gives a negative form. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he says, you have no life in you. Unless you receive me and take me in deep within you, you have no life. And he says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true food drink. Again, he begins with like this negative form of the statement, unless you are consumed with me, you don't have life is what he's getting at. And why would we not be fully committed and consumed with Jesus? This is the importance of preaching on sin and the depth of our sin in the face of a holy God is that we understand the depth of God's love that he would run after us and do everything possible to redeem us. And so why, then the question becomes, why would we not be fully committed and consumed with a Savior like that? Why would, why would He not take complete priority in your life above all other callings and tasks that you have? Only in Jesus, hear this, this is a truth I want you to walk away with. Only in Jesus can true life be found. True nourishment and sustenance for your soul. This speaks to uh, the commitment level of belief in Jesus as the living bread from heaven that we would be, believe so strongly in his perfect life, death, and resurrection and his very words. We have the words of Christ here, not just the words in red. All of scripture is inspired and God-breathed. These are all the words of Christ. We can, we can come to that conclusion. We need to receive, we need to strongly believe in his very words that we would receive them like food. Okay, you don't, if you're anything like me, like I'm not skipping a meal. Can you tell? Right? I'm not, don't skip a meal. Okay? Read, take in his word as often as you can. The psalmist uh, conveys this thought in, in the longest, we have the longest chapter in scripture is Psalm 119. You want to know what that's about? It's about the word of God. It's about the word of God. And, and the psalmist says this in verse 103 of 119. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What a beautiful statement. Okay, we, we don't just begrudgingly come to the scriptures and like, oh, I, gotta, I have to do this. But it is sweet as honey to our soul. In John's gospel, at the beginning of John's gospel, you guys remember one of the titles that he, he uses for Jesus? You guys remember what that is in the, in the very beginning? What does he call Jesus? He calls him the Word. Are we consumed by the Word? And positively, as, as the psalmist conveys, is that Word, is Jesus sweet to us, sweeter than honey? There should be an abundant joy in our lives when we think upon all that Jesus has accomplished for us and his deep love. I think that's why we see all throughout Scripture these markers of remembrance. We do one here. We, re we remember the Lord through receiving the Lord's Supper. These markers of remembrance because they should well up in us joy. 
We should taste the sweetness of redemption and the sweetness of of the atonement that God so loved us that he gave his son. Think about these things. This is the sweetness of having Jesus. It's a few truths that we have. Okay, we talk often about his death, but Jesus also did this. He lived for you. And he lives for you because he raised from the dead. Jesus did die for you. That shows his great love for you. I was reading in Zephaniah this week, and it says this. It says that God sings over us. Jesus sings over you. I think I get this picture of a mother holding their child. I mean, my mom, I used to get really bad ear infections when I was a a little kid. And my mom would, the only thing that would soothe me, you give me painkillers, whatever it was, but mom would come in and that you'd have that throbbing kind of pulsating pain in your head. And she would hold me and sing to me. I kind of get that picture of like God sings over in, in your darkest times, the Lord is holding and he's singing over you like a mother sings a lullaby to her child. And this is beautiful too. Romans eight thirty four. I love this. Jesus is doing this. So he lived for you. He died for you. He overcame death for you. He raised from the dead. He sings over us. But right now, did you know this right now in this very moment, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. It says in Romans 8.34 that he's interceding for you. Do you know what that means? Simply put, Jesus prays for you right now. Isn't that sweet? Sweeter than honey. Are you consumed with Jesus? The next thing that we see, point number two, true belief abides in Jesus. I love this word abides. True belief abides in Jesus. We see this word here in this passage of Scripture what does abiding mean? It's not, it's not a word that we use normally kind of in everyday language. What is it? It's another way, I think a beautiful way of saying to live in Christ. Uh, another way we could say it is to remain in him, to remain with Christ. Uh, another word that we could use is to persevere in his love. Uh, another way we could say is just simply this, to continue with him. Uh, so to, when we think of abide, we want to think of living in Christ, remaining in him, persevering, continuing. Okay? Keep going. That's the idea that we get. Keep going. It says this, uh, verse 54, and then we'll go to 56 to 57. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And notice again, now the, the, the statement takes the positive form. This is, this, is what, this is what will happen if you consume me, if you take me in deeply, is that you will have eternal life. I said it this way last week, and Jesus says, I will raise you up on the last day. Then he says this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, here's the word, abides, think, lives, continues, remains, persevere, abides. Hear the way he says this, abides in me, And then listen, and I in him. We see it both ways. In me and I in him. How does he abide in us? We sang a song about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus is inside of you. He says this, as now we see this beautiful connection that we have through Jesus. He says, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. He's giving us this gift of life through 
the Father. Abiding with Jesus is a deep commitment. Okay, we don't just get part of Jesus. We have to be deeply committed to him. He's deeply committed to you, right? So much so that in, in the previous section, he said this. This is the commitment of Jesus' love to you. He says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's Jesus' commitment to you. He has a deep commitment to the redemption of his people and finishing the task. And as a response to Jesus, we must be deeply committed to him. We must abide, remember, live, continue, remain in his love. How do we do this? I'm going to give you five quick ways. This isn't in your notes. Five quick ways that we can remain deeply committed to him. One is it's, a, it's something that we're connected to that's outside of us, that's given to us. I just talked about it. The first thing is, is that we're empowered by God's spirit. So we should strive to walk in step with his spirit. Paul talks about that in Galatians 5.25. How do we remain in Jesus? Well, we have Jesus within us. He says, I am with you. What's another way that we abide or live or continue or remain is that we seek his will for our lives. Okay, We don't just walk with perseverance in our own will like, Jesus, I'm doing it my way. Okay, We seek out his will for our lives. Jesus gave us this example because he did the will of who? The Father. We must do the will that, that God has for our lives, carry that will out. What's another way that we abide, live, continue, remain in his love is that we seek to know Jesus through his word. He's given us this beautiful gift. What's another way that we abide, live, continue, remain in his love? We pray through Jesus. God delights to hear from his people. And lastly, this is important because we want to leave this one off. We obey Jesus. Again, I want to reiterate, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's the way we live, continue, remain in his love. He says this in John 15, four to six. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now he says this, for apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Why? Because he's the root. He's the lifeblood. He's the giver of life. He says this, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That's a warning. I was thinking as I was reading through this section, we have these... uh, in our backyard, we have a lot of tropical plants. Uh, we have elephant ears that we dig up in the winter that someone gave us, a beautiful gift that have propagated all throughout our yard. Those are, those are kind of easy. You just plant them, and I mean, they just blow up and explode everywhere in the yard. Now, the difficult one has been these banana trees, banana plants that we have. We planted those about three years ago when we moved into our house that we're in right now. And every winter, we, we cut them off in half. And then the following spring, they start to come back. Banana trees, if you've seen those, they run a lot of different little shoots. One of the struggles that we've had is our neighbors want some. And so we go out there and we pull these, I call them pups. We pull these little pups off the, off the banana tree and we give them as gifts to our neighbors and they keep withering and dying. I'm sure we're doing something wrong, but it gave me the picture of 
what we see here, when that plant, that little pup is removed from the life-giving main trunk, it's, it withers and dies. It's like, it's what we are when we do not abide in Christ, when we don't remain in him, when we run away from Jesus. When we hear in this room, uh, when you hear the gospel proclaimed and you run away from that, you're like that plant that's being pulled away from the nourishing sap of the mother plant. You can't live apart from that. I'm sure someone's going to send me an email, an article about how to do it properly. We must remain connected to the Savior. And then I want to share this with you. We must remember also the heart of the one we are connected to. I hope to touch your emotions a bit this morning. When you feel the love of Jesus the heart of the one we're connected to, consumed by the one that we're abiding, right? Living, continuing, remaining in, persevering in. He says these words in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. After, let me remind you the context of that one. He's just taught a hard saying there also. Then he says this. If you're tired and you're weary this morning, hear these words of Jesus. My prayers, they comfort you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, right? Be consumed with Jesus and his teachings. And then he gives us a glimpse into his heart. This is the heart of God. For I am what? Gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What beautiful words from our Savior. He gives us that view that he is gentle and lowly. He's humble. He's coming for you. He loves you. Three, true belief is a personal relationship with Jesus. True belief is a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, things are about, we're going to get real here for a second. True belief is a personal relationship with Jesus. I believe some of the issue going on in this chapter with the Jews and their unbelief is that they believe they had salvation because of this, because of an earthly lineage. They're connected to Abraham, so everything's okay. I just keep the law the best I can. But what they really needed is this. They needed a heavenly lineage. They needed a heavenly connection. They each needed to do this. Okay, they, weren't, they couldn't be saved through their, their father's faith, through the faith of Abraham. They had to be saved through their own faith. They needed a heavenly lineage. They each needed to make a decision to follow after Jesus. That's why Jesus is talking to all of these people. They're all hearing the same message. They needed to make a personal commitment to Jesus and his teachings. Where do we get this from? John 6, 58. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Now, I want you to hear this word. It says, whoever there, okay? Every point in this section of scripture that whoever is used, it's not a plural form in the original language. This is where we lose some stuff in the language. In the original Greek language, whoever there is a singular form. He's addressing each person in this crowd. And he's saying, whoever, whichever one of you feeds on this bread will live forever. He's inviting each one of these people to have a personal, deeply committed relationship with him. That's what Christ has called us to. Not a relationship that comes through your earthly lineage, lineage and I'm good because my parents went to church and they prayed for me and they, they uh, had the church pray for me when I was an infant, so everything's okay. I don't have to do anything anymore. But a, a heavenly lineage that feasts on the Lord, 
Again, the, the whoever form of the word in verse 58 is, is singular, meaning each individual, every individual human being is confronted with this decision, this choice. Will I follow after Jesus or will I deny him? You see, our default setting is to seek after this, the bread of this world for life and sustenance, to find it, to look just right here on the surface and try to find life and meaning right in the things right in front of us, the created things to grasp after created things instead of the creator. But created things only lead to a deeper longing. This isn't to say that created things are bad. I don't want us to view the the physical world as bad. The physical, like food, it it doesn't have morals, does it? Food is amoral, right? Bread, it can't do right or wrong. It's just in our hands. But where does the the moral value come in? Merely seeking for food as, as life, as fulfillment is wrong. We should be looking at the provider, not the provision, right? We must guard our heart. What can we draw from this teaching where, where the Jews are not they're, they're They feel like they're connected. They're saved through, through this earthly lineage, but Jesus is offering them true hope, true redemption in himself. And we must, family, guard our hearts from the same error that the Jews made in Jesus' day. Many of them did. They believed their salvation came again from, from this earthly lineage, an earthly keeping of the law, but we need a heavenly lineage. We need this. We need a change of position. And our position needs to be changed from spiritual darkness and hunger to spiritual light and being filled with his word, being filled with God's Holy Spirit. And so the, the question that we are confronted with this morning is, do you sit here this morning trusting in an earthly lineage instead of a heavenly one? Husbands, as I said, we're going to have a little real talk this morning. Husbands, do you come and go through the motion of church because it keeps your more spiritually mature wife off your back? Or do you have a, a truly deeply committed relationship with Jesus? You can't ride on your wife's coattails into heaven. You have to make a personal commitment to Christ yourself. She can't save you, only Jesus can. Wives, do you come to church only to please your husband instead of seeking to please the one who is truly seated on the throne, Jesus Christ? This is important. Children, children with a godly lineage, especially you have parents that are followers of Jesus. First off, I want to address those who, who have parents that love Christ and have shared the faith with you and have brought you up in church. That is a gift from God that your parents care enough for you, that they, they bring you before the Lord and in his instruction. But our, our parents, when usually when they're getting close to the end of their life, they, if they have anything of value, they write a what? A will, right? They, they will the house to somebody. They will the car. If there's any money, they, they will the they can't. Here's the one thing they can't will to you. They can't will their faith. You have to make that decision for yourself. They can't will their faith to you. Jesus said, whoever feeds on this bread lives forever. That whoever is you that he's addressing this morning. Some of you in this room are adults. 
and also have a beautiful heritage and godly family, but, but you've been just merely a spectator to the life-giving relationship that can be had through faith in Jesus. Your parents are getting older and they desire for you to be consumed with this burning desire for God and His Word. And so are you a whoever that, that needs desperately to feed on the bread of Jesus? And so I give this clear invitation in the room today, the the whoevers that are in our room that Jesus is addressing, will you personally receive the love of Jesus today and redemption through faith in his work? No shame in hiding the truth. Maybe you felt a connection to Christ through your parents or your husband or your wife, but you've never personally received this beautiful gift from the Lord the word of God gives us these simple instructions. He says, to this is all you have to do. Repent and believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior today. You'll have eternal life with him. My prayer is that your, your life will be transformed and you'll have this deep commitment to Christ and his word, a deep consumption of him. There's another group though. I mean, we're using this picture of bread here. You guys ever put just left bread open and you put it in the cabinet or the cupboard? What happens to it? It just gets stale, doesn't it? It makes good croutons, though. I like croutons more than salad, I'll be honest with you. Okay, sorry. Be serious here. Perhaps like that bread that's gone stale, perhaps your love for Jesus has grown stale like old bread in the cupboard. You've just been going through the motions, but your faith is just stale and stagnant. It's not sweet as honey. You're not desiring it. You rarely taste that the Lord is good. I want to invite you today. Will you make a renewed commitment to Jesus? To consume Him. To abide in Him. To love Him deeply to renew that personal commitment to following after him. No more excuses. Be consumed by Jesus' abiding and eternal love. Will you make that decision today? If you don't know Christ, to place your faith in him, repent and believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're just stale and tired, remember those words that Jesus said back in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You taste the sweetness of the honey, Jesus. Amen.